Welcome to Cyberology, Dakota State University's podcast for sharing and discussing all things cyber. I'm Jen Burris from the Marketing and Communications Department at DSU, and I'll be your host. This episode, we'll be talking about artificial intelligence with Austin O'Brien. And today, I'm happy to introduce you to my co-host, Dr. Gabe Midland. Hi, Jen. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing great. And artificial intelligence seems to fit my personality very well. So How so? Um, mainly because I don't have real intelligence. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no. The, the, the topic, I think, uh, mirrors our understanding of how the brain works. And, of course, psychology, uh, the courses I get to teach, is about behavior and, of course, mental processing and how the two influence each other. So um, I suspect what we're going to learn here today, I'm going to learn here today, too, is um, how our understanding of the way the brain works informs how we use and create artificial intelligence. So um, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. And we're happy to have you. Let me introduce our artificial intelligence expert, Dr. Austin O'Brien. Austin is an assistant professor of computer science in the Beacom College of Computer and Cyber Sciences. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. So uh, just like you say, uh, an assistant professor, uh, this is my fifth year here. So my background in computer science, my bachelor's and master's degrees from come from there. But uh, my uh, PhD was actually in computational science and statistics. So that's uh, kind of a departure where it's really a way of looking at a lot of the machine learning algorithms that we know today. So didn't really you know, know that at the time going into it, but it's kind of worked out really well. And so I've been working at DSU with these new courses that we got with artificial intelligence. We've been working on uh, really trying to get folks interested in it, which has been really easy to do. <laughs> Students have been kind of jumping all over the courses that we've been starting to provide. So yeah, really excited with the way that AI is starting to take off, you know, here at Dakota State University and also at other universities in South Dakota. It's uh, just something that's really taken off and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Awesome. Um, so how about you start off by telling me a little bit or telling us the listeners a little bit about what AI is? Sure. Yeah. So artificial intelligence, you know, the whole idea, at least from a computer science perspective, is trying to get a computer to behave in a way that's intelligent, like you would expect a person to. And, you know, that that's kind of really the end goal. You know, we talk about, you know, different things in artificial intelligence that we have now, but I wouldn't say that we're anywhere really near the the end goal of where we want we'd like to go you know that that the whole sci-fi idea of some self entity that's able to walk around behave think react to its environment you know things along those lines right now we're kind of at the stages where we're kind of doing mini partitions of that and the the whole goal someday is to kind of get this all working together but th that's kind of the idea so right now you know the way that we're working with that it's typically there's these different facets of artificial intelligence. Machine learning is one that's become very popular lately. And really, there's a, you know, the reason for that is really because of computational power is really started taking off. And data collection uh, is a huge thing. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of 
controversy one way or another about, you know, data collection and all of that. So that's uh, something that we have to think about going forward when we're, you know, working on artificial intelligence. Uh, You know, the ethics of AI is something that is really starting to take a step forward in our line of thinking when we're working on these algorithms and and things like that. So, yeah, you know, just, you know, there's the old school uh, rule-based artificial intelligence where, you know, if something occurs, then the bot should do that, you know, that sort of thing. The problem with that is that you it's you can't predict everything that could ever happen. So it's hard to create rules for these bots or for these software agents to actually behave in, you know, a very natural environment, right? So, you know, that's where we're going towards uh, machine learning more recently, where we're able to actually feed these software agents lots of information. And through this information, you know, they quote unquote learn how to behave better. And so they have all of these different situations that we can try and feed into it so that it can learn to, you know, behave intelligently like we would like it to do. So that's that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, obviously, the folks who have all the computational power, Google, Amazon, all those folks, you know, those are the ones that you're hearing about. And that's really why they're really taking off. They have tons of data. They have tons of computational power. So for researchers, you know, we do the best we can with what we got. Um, so that's why there's, you know, a little bit of concern, I think, in in the field of AI right now is just because these large companies are kind of privatizing this sort of thing. Uh, and researchers are just just by the nature of being able to conduct this research. It costs a lot of money to collect data, uh, to store data. The computational power needed to run the algorithms. Uh, some of them need uh, uh, graphical processing units or GPUs, which are just expensive, really expensive hardware uh, to run. So, uh, so, you know, as far as that goes, you know, research is... Uh, uh, doing our best to kind of keep up with that and because we want open artificial intelligence we want it to be for uh, everybody to use to understand that's and understand I think is one of the more important things about it too so that's what we'd like but so yeah kind of a little bit so of but the hard part is is that you don't have the Jeff Bezos <laughs> net worth of new no, no uh, I do not <laughs> I don't think the state does either but you know but you know at, at the same time a lot of these companies you know and I don't want to paint them in a dark light either you know they uh, you know a lot of them actually supply uh, processing power for folks to use uh, there's like a free level uh, Google has a uh, has a, a service I think it's called collaborative or collaboration collaborate something something along those lines and and basically you can use their computational power if you upload your data you know or and there are a lot of free databases that you can use to for certain certain projects and things like that so so you know google has theirs uh, amazon has their web services and microsoft has their version so i think there is kind of a push to get it for not just researchers but anybody who has interest to get into that sort of thing there is kind of this free tier for folks to get into it but yeah yeah but to do the really really kind of interesting stuff i mean you need big big budgets and so that's some of that we're working towards we'll do a few more fundraisers but <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> gabe i can tell you have some questions percolating yeah. there well i am percolating a little bit i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm more interested in this this vast spectrum of uh, abilities that AI can tackle. 
where do you fall on the spectrum? Where's your interest and what are you working on? Sure. So my interest is really kind of, you know, because like you say, there's lots of these different facets of artificial intelligence. Like the one that's probably being applied the most right now is probably AI for business. And really it's using a lot of these machine learning algorithms to do uh, numeric predictions, like trying to predict housing markets or, you know, uh, should you a decline or accept somebody's credit application, you know, something along those lines. As far as what I'm interested in, it kind of takes a little bit of a turn and it's kind of more of what most people think about when they think of AI is actually more along the line of an autonomous agent or some bot, as you might say, that's able to behave in some environment. So kind of to give you just a, an easy idea is uh, uh, it's called reinforcement learning is uh, what I'm interested in. And basically it's where a, a computer basically, like I say, learns to behave in its environment in an intelligent way. So the example I like to use is there you can train a computer to play an Atari game. Sure. Something along those lines. Yeah. So just by having screenshots, basically what we'll do is we'll digitize that screenshot. Well, it basically already <laughs> is, but uh, feed those numeric values into a deep learning model. And deep learning, some folks might be familiar with the term a neural network, a neural net, an artificial neural net. And uh, basically, it's kind of mapped after the way that, you know, some scientists think that, you know, the brain might work. Mm -hmm. we, we feed it some data and it goes to some neurons and then uh, it kind of processes that data a little bit with what we'll call some sort of activation function. And then it gives some output. And so then the, that data kind of percolates through the neural net and gives us finally some output. So this example with the Atari game uh, basically is it'll read the screen. Uh, the pixels, basically each pixel has a numeric value. So, uh, you know, the color scheme, RGB, red, green, blue. Right. So every screenshot uh, has a value, you know, between zero and 255. And so with that, it just kind of looks at, you know, what does the pattern of pixels represent? And then it just basically the output is what is the move it wants to make? So for the easiest one, Pac-Man, up, down, left, right. So there's basically you feed it this information and the output is basically going to be one of those four options. And so what happens is, is that if it was, did something good, we try to reward it. So with an Atari game, the easy way to do that is just the score, the basic okay. score. If the score goes <laughs> up, agent did great. If not, we find a way to punish it if it did something bad, like maybe if it's Pac-Man getting hit by the ghost, right? That sort of thing. Or maybe we can say if it doesn't get any points after a long period of time, that's bad. So we try to punish it if it doesn't do that. And it's just this, uh, and this reward and punishment, it's just a numeric value. If it does something good, give it a positive number. Does something bad, take away some numbers, that sort of thing. And so it basically over a long period of time at the beginning, it'll start by just kind of randomly making moves. And it doesn't really know what's correct, but after a series of rewards and not just instantaneous rewards, but there's a, you know, mathematically, we can try and get it to get uh, the, the, the culmination of rewards over time, this value. And then it tries to get the maximum value that it can. And so it just kind of learns, given what the screen looks like, the pattern of the pixels, it'll learn, well, if I go up with, you know, when it looks like the ghost is below me, then I get a reward. I live longer, get more points, those sorts of things. And so, and so through that, uh, basically this whole reinforcement learning is where a computer learns to do something well, whether that's play a game, whether that's a robot that can learn to walk, something along those lines. 
So, um, and I'm struggling here because I just watched this on uh, Netflix, mm-hmm. or excuse me, uh, Sundance Now is one of the channels that I've subscribed to. Okay. And um, they were referring to the Norwegian chess master, um, Morgan, I, I can't think of his name. Mm-hmm. But uh, to achieve that title as the grand master of chess, he, he competed against a gentleman from India who used a computer program, I think that was uh, using AI, Mm -hmm. uh, to think of all the different possibilities given the moves. And one thing I was amazed about, I'm not an avid chess player, um, (laughs) but uh, they said after the first four moves in a chess game, there are something like over 4 billion different possible plays that -hmm. could go from those first four moves. Right. And, of course, the advantage to uh, having artificial intelligence with a processing speed in the computer is uh, it can go through all those variations. And what you're talking about is not only anticipating what the next best move is, but after that move, what, how a sequence plays out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as far as uh, artificial in chess goes, you know, uh, I think back to uh, Deep Blue. Yeah. And I, I can't remember the year that that was running, but basically that was just a supercomputer because there's a game tree essentially is how that worked. It's this is the state of the board. If I make this move, then it would kind of say, okay, well, this is what the board would look like. And then it would try to cycle through all possible moves. Mm-hmm. And like you say, just the permutations, it's oh. a huge number. So just a supercomputer just trying to do as many as it can before it, its time limit was up and it had to make a move was how that worked uh, at that time. I want to say it was the 90s. I can't remember exactly when that was. But, but with, uh, with reinforcement learning, it's, it's a little bit different because basically we found that, you know, that's not really tenable. There's just so many moves that even now with supercomputers, it, that's not really probably the best way to move forward. But with this reinforcement learning, what we're trying to do is find, you know, where it learns kind of the relationships between the pieces and it kind of gives this probability. You know, when I'm talking about this reinforcement learning, it's not always just this straight up like this up is always best or down is always best. Or, you know, talking about chess, moving the, the knight to this position is, you know, the best thing you can do. But what it'll rather do is give a probability. Like if I move this chess piece here, I have an 80% chance right. of winning later on and, and, and so on like that. And so it's not nearly as much computation uh, to... Once it's actually running, training the agent actually does take an incredible amount of time and power, but that's done before the game. And once this neural net is trained, then it actually will say, you know, it'll look at the board and then it'll actually compute fairly quickly uh, out of the different options that it might do, uh, what might be the best probability of winning, not just, and so it's not just for that move, what's the best move in this situation, but just like you said, looking forward, what's the end goal? of winning that so basically it's strategizing exactly and that's such a good way to put it and that's why we try to set those values not in the immediate reward but the long-term reward uh it's actually funny we were talking about student projects and a few years ago i had a student project want to use reinforcement learning to do tic-tac-toe right a very similar thing Mm -hmm. tic-tac-toe technically a solved game you know if if you look at any board with you know x's and o's there is a technically a best move, you know, something like that. But the student wanted to say, well, 
I want to use reinforcement learning to see if we can do something uh, to, to get it to learn. And the problem was, is that he was using immediate rewards and not this long-term goal. And what would happen is it would always try and go for a win. It would never block. Oh. And it was kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of neat, you know, how you could actually. Just all offense. Exactly. And that's what it was. It's just all offense because it wasn't thinking, it wasn't strategizing. It was just thinking, what is this immediate reward or the closest thing I can do to winning? But at the same time, not actually thinking about the other player or anything like that. So it, it's kind of really cool. And yeah. So I, I'm kind of curious, uh, this reinforcement learning with AI, mm -hmm. you know, obviously with a game, chess or an Atari game, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. but what are the applications in, in business, uh, in, in, in the world of commerce? Sure. So for there, you know, the whole idea of reinforcement learning is, uh, you know, to take in what is the environment. So like for Pac-Man, the screen for chess, it's the board. Uh, let's just go into the world of the stock market. Sure. So what are the stocks and not just the stocks, you know, they're moving, but also what is happening in the world? Like I'm trying to think long-term like, uh, and so again, this is kind of above and beyond what's really out there now, but it's kind of looking at the end goal. Right. So, you know, the idea of looking at the stocks, looking at the numbers, you know, they're going up and down. And so that's a lot of what people are working with right now, but we know that the real world affects these stocks in a dramatic way. So adding more AI, so natural language processing is the idea of a computer be able to understand language. So maybe being able to, you know, basically read articles from different internet sources, perhaps, and kind of see where maybe different companies have had, you know, great success with new announcements or something's gone wrong with scandals or whatever, various other things, but be able to use that and also look at those stocks and be able to decide, well, buying and trading, what is going to yield the highest value after, you know, and you can specify maybe a, a long period of time, maybe a shorter period of time. But what it'll try and do essentially is just basically, you know, you'll start training it by, you know, at first it won't know what's right and what's wrong. It'll start making random trades. And right. if it does things wrong, well, then the algorithm, the way that that works is it tunes it to do, you know, this, you, you saw this environment, you made this move and that was bad. So try this, try something else essentially. And so it just would try to, there you go, try to trade maybe a different stock, maybe for a different amount, different times. And then, so as far as, you know, commerce goes, being able to have that live data is something that would allow it to actually function very well. But I guess, you know, reinforcement learning, just kind of coming back to that, it's just being able to look at your environment. So you got to be able to feed it that data so it can make a decision. And it can only make good decisions if it's seen similar situations before. That. So that's how it learns. It's, uh, it, it's not always automatic. It has to train and learn after a long period of time. So they have to win, learn from their wins and their losses. Exactly. Yeah. So, and there's a, it's, it's kind of neat because there's a lot of libraries, uh, coding libraries that are available and students will do that for fun. It's uh, it's, it's make believe they're not actually making trades or anything, but that's what they'll do is they'll, they'll try to train reinforcement agents to do well on stock markets. And it's, it's really interesting because, you know, this AI, it's not just, you don't just throw it out there and it just works or right. you know and behaves in a certain way there's actually a lot of tuning that's done by humans still and so like two different researchers trying to do the same thing might get two different reinforcement agents behaving in entirely different ways just because the how they train their agent how they fed it data how they treat the reward system the value system penalties that sort of thing so yeah <laughs> there's a lot going on i, w I would assume that 
what data is made available for processing to determine what's reinforceable, what's punishable mm-hmm. is key. I mean, so the human element is really, really critical. I oh, mean, absolutely. if you're reading only the Wall Street Journal, you're, you're getting certainly a, a very good source of information, but you're not getting probably enough information. Right. That, and can that um, lead to bias in your AI? Absolutely. And that's kind of the big thing because we're talking about, you know, ethics in AI, that sort of thing. And bias can play a huge part in that. Now, there's kind of, there's the strict, you know, sense of bias, not like in humans terms, but let's say facial recognition. One, one way that we talk about bias, not in the way you might be thinking, but let's say we, the way that you would train an agent to recognize faces for whether maybe like a, you know, a webcam, like it follows your face as you're moving around something. So it has to recognize your face. Or if you play around with Snapchats, all the different things that, you know, the filters that they can do, that sort of stuff. So it has to recognize your your face essentially. So y- they have to train that agent with tons of faces and whether they get the pictures from scraping the internet, you know, stealing from Facebook or whatever, but they get all of these faces and, you know, so it learns what that looks like. Well, if you only use faces, let's say just straight on looking straight forward faces right at the right at the camera then that's what it thinks is a face is as soon as anyone puts on sunglasses it's going to get confused and then there's also kind of the other bias that you might be thinking of if you're only you know training with caucasian people there's going to be trouble with folks of other races and that's something that we really do have to think about when you're working with artificial intelligence is the data that you have does that create a bias because you really want to get encompassing of what it's going to be used for. And you don't want to want anything falling through the cracks that you don't think of. And, you know, data selection is a huge part of that. Mm. Yeah, we have the phrase garbage in, garbage out. If you don't sure. have enough data or it's not good going in, your model's not going to work very well. You've discussed the ethical side of AI. Are there structures, are there governing bodies, or how does it work in in the world of AI? Right. So right now it is kind of a lot of self-policing. There, If there is a central ethical agency, I'm honestly not aware of them. And so even if they are, then maybe they're not that effective. <laughs> so so uh, not to be rude about it. But uh, one of the big ones that's pretty popular, there's uh, OpenAI is the company. You might be familiar with Elon Musk. Yes. Yes. And so he has his company. And, and so he started the whole company. The, the idea is so that artificial intelligence could be open to everybody. So everybody could see how it's working. So we could see problems, whether that's, you know, bias or just unethical use of the artificial intelligence. And one of the things that they came out with is this natural language processing agent. So being able to read text, natural language, which is normally very difficult for a computer just because of context, semantics. Think of when people are being, you know, sarcastic, incredibly hard for a computer to understand that sort of thing. But they came out with a program here, GPT-3, and it's just their third iteration of this natural language processing agent, I guess I'll say. But they found that with just a little bit of a prompt, it was able to write entire news stories. Like, so you give a prompt like, uh, this week uh, in the news, in the White House, and then you just feed that line into it, and they would write an entire news story that would seem plausible, that sort of thing. And so they became incredibly worried about obviously, you know, right, fake news, right. artificial and artificial intelligence doing those sorts of things. So what happened is Microsoft ended up purchasing it and said, 
people can use it, but the source code for it is not up for grabs anymore. And when people use it, it's very limited. It's not kind of in the huge context that, that, that it what might've been made for in the first place. So you kind of have to license it out. And usually it's these bigger companies that are doing it for, you know, chat bots for their, uh, customer service, things okay. along those lines. So, yeah. So eth ethics and AI is just such a huge thing. Deep fakes anymore is something, uh, are you familiar with the idea of deep fakes? Yeah. So I've heard a couple recent news stories. The Tom Cruise videos were on TikTok and then also a mother using oh, deep go. fake videos to threaten cheerleaders on her child's cheerleading squad yeah. to try and like get them off the team, I think. Yeah. So if you're not familiar, basically what you can do is you can manipulate basically a video to, you know, you can, if you feed it uh, someone's face, you can have somebody else kind of doing the action, but you can put anybody's face on or vice versa or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. Basically make photorealistic video out of something that isn't real, deep fake. So that's just kind of a huge, huge ethical thing, dilemma that we're looking at now, because there's even just lots of websites where you can just upload a picture and it, you know, just looks like you're singing a song. And I've seen a couple of them and they, it's crazy how realistic it, it is. Well, to continue with that, uh, it was a couple of years ago after the 2016 election, they were talking about Adobe had some software that not only did the, the visual, but they were able to take President Obama, who's, you know, been recorded several mm -hmm. thousands of times, and type out a dialogue. Oh, sure. And it not only visually looked like he was saying it, it sounded like he was saying it. Right. And being someone who is very active politically, I was like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. that's a lot different than a, a newspaper report or a journalist, you know, writing a story. This is what appears to be a person standing up and make, taking this wild position. Right. And uh, who's to say he didn't? Yeah. So there's a ton of research or a ton of grants, I'll say, that people are saying, can we detect deep fakes? The last paper I've seen was 96% effective at detecting a deep fake. And the way they did it was the reflection in their eyes. They could determine if the really? reflection was realistic to the environment that was around them. Okay. Which is crazy. That's what I read. I mean, that's but kind of- But it got a, to that level. Yeah. The model that's able to determine if it's a deep fake, that's where it was able to pinpoint kind of, you know, how, and that's just one method of doing it. The last one that I've read so far, but there's just a ton ton of money kind of going into just being able to try to avoid that now. I think that we're all kind of being made aware of these types of situations, just like you say, and, you know, not just to kind of compound on kind of the scary stuff, but I remember, you know, just kind of being on the cybersecurity sort of thing and AI been trying to kind of put those two together. One of them, you know, I know of is that you'll get a call, you know, one of the spam calls or something like that. And there's really nothing on the other line. They might say hello. And then there's really nothing. They're not, they're not even trying to sell anything. It's just kind of this weird nothingness. Yes. What they're trying to do is collect your voice. What does your timbre, what does your tone sound like? And what they'll do is then they'll use that to call people in your phone with your voice, say, grandma, I need a check for a thousand bucks for school. Oh my. And it's crazy how they're able to do that sort of thing. So when you're talking about ethics, we're there. We gotta be able to get on top of this. So, you know, there's the ethics side of making people aware of what's going on, being able to teach students, you know, obviously where is the line and then trying to get people to defend against that sort of thing. And, you know, the research to be able to detect when things are going wrong and, and along those lines. So, yeah. yeah, so AI and cybersecurity security or even just security in general is just kind of this thing that's starting to come together very strongly. 
just yeah. because of these sorts of things. So we've kind of talked about the view of the dark side. Yeah, I know. What right? about the? <laughs> you were talking about end games, and and it, and and it sounds like there's lots of promise with AI. Yeah. What what do you see is going to be something that AI contributes to um, our existence? Sure. So really, the idea is trying to solve problems that we just would not have been able to come up with ourselves. And coming back to those reinforcement learning agents, the fun thing with those is that you find strategies that nobody else has ever really come up with. And so if you think about that, you can apply that to any range of problems in any environment you can think of. So, you know, there's lots of environmental problems. You know, the oceans are running hot, running out of fish, global warming in general, picking up, uh, you know, all this garbage that we're collecting, what can we do with it? So there's artificial intelligence that can tell us how to create different chemical compounds, let's say. You know, here's, a, here's an example. Uh, like in chemistry with recycling, maybe we're trying to break down styrofoam cups or something like that. What can do that safely, efficiently, not give away nasty fumes, that sort of thing? Typically in a lab, you'd have to work with these chemicals that can be expensive, time-consuming, maybe dangerous. With artificial intelligence, what we might be able to do is go down to that molecular level they know how these combinations normally occur between different elements. And so maybe we can come up with a new compound to do that without all of that expense of all of this lab stuff. Something that comes up, you know, through these simulations, and then we'll try that in, in real life and see if that can help us out. So maybe that's something we can do and, you know, take out pollutants in water. And then, you know, agriculture is a big one that I would like to work with too. With pesticides, you know, it's standard to just spray the whole field. And that can, you know, lead to drainage and, and cause issues there. Well, with artificial intelligence, we can get a bot maybe to do what we call basically, you know, strategic micro, uh, you know, spraying, something like that, where it can recognize a weed, just zap it or do whatever it needs to do, <laughs> and then go on and keep on moving. So we're not spraying mass chemicals, just little bits where we need to, or maybe just dig it up, whatever whatever you want it to do. So, sure. so you know, there's a lot of different AIs working together. The reinforcement learning bot where it has to drive around. Then you got image recognition, which is kind of its own thing where it can recognize that a plant is actually a weed and not your, your soybean plant and, and then dig it up and then, uh, you know, return back before the battery dies. And there's lots of things that work together to make it work. And so solving these huge problems that are coming up for us, you know, we got so many people on earth, you know, we only got so much food how can we handle this? You know, it's just these big problems and maybe AI can help us out with, whether it's in the pure application or even maybe just coming up with new strategies we haven't thought of. Amazing. <laughs> Exciting. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that brings up a lot of ideas for opportunity and maybe a little hopefulness for yeah, and, some of the stuff going on. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I know we were talking about the bleakness of it, but you know, when I look forward, I don't think of it nearly as, as bleak as, you know, we were talking about earlier. And, you know, that's kind of with any tool that comes up in, in human history, you know, there are people who are going to use it for nefarious reasons, but eventually there's going to be either regulation, there's enough good folks, I think, that are going to be willing to work to step in front of it and, and curb it where, where they have to. And so, you know, when I think about AI, I, I don't have any of those apocalyptic <laughs> worries. Uh, it's just, I, I, I don't really worry about it. I think it's, I think we'll get way more good than bad. Okay. So in the aspect of AI way down the road, you train it to try and solve this problem and it is superseded intelligence. So 
it starts disregarding how that would impact humans or something. Mm -hmm. Is that something that is even plausible? So when we're talking about those bots, like you give it those values, you know, we're trying to reward it. So so it reaches some end goal. Sometimes it doesn't ever necessarily know what the goal is. Sometimes it just tries to keep getting value and value and value. But there's also, you know, punishments. And so really it comes down to, because I was talking about that student who is doing tic-tac-toe, at the end of the day, there is still so much of a human element behind it, at least right now, where I can't see a system such that any sort of hurt on a human, in whether physical, whether you know, mental or anything along those lines, or just removing humans from the picture, I really don't see that happening explicitly. I, it, would take, it would take somebody going out of their way to make it that way to begin with. And that would just be odd <laughs> to do. <laughs> and it would take, and, 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 and to have something that could actually then affect people on a, on a large scale, incredibly expensive, time-consuming, like I say, all that computational power. So you're talking about governments and large companies that might, you know, are the ones that you'd have to worry about trying to do something like that. So that's why we have our great cybersecurity agents trying to stay on top of those sorts of things, making sure folks aren't doing gnarly things to hurt other people. And uh, But uh, as far as just kind of the average Joe, even if you have the intelligence and the, the know-how to build something like that, just the resources you would need to actually make it work, it's just not at this time feasible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I'm not too worried. <laughs> so I'm thinking... Um, Let's say I'm a student and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm really excited about what I'm hearing about AI. And I'm thinking about coming to DSU Mm -hmm. to explore this. What does a student who's interested in, in this field, what kinds of classes do they take? What's their program of study? Sure. So you're working with with computers and there is a lot of programming going on. So I say computer science is kind of at your core, uh, really doing programming, algorithms, things like that. Especially with machine learning, the, the backbone to a lot of it is statistics. So I would say if you could learn as much statistics as you can and kind of run with that. Also, uh, just kind of math in general, uh, neural nets. In order to work properly, you know, they use a lot of linear algebra, which is, you know, matrices and vectors being multiplied and added together, all that fun stuff. And I'll then, take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And multivariate calculus, right? So kind of to build those, you know, those algorithms, you know, is kind of fairly math intensive. I kind of equate it to like someone building a car versus being able to drive a car. We're kind of at the point where these software libraries, I've kind of been calling them, where these packages where, you know, a programmer can still build these agents without having to know this intense math. Okay. Uh, the computer can kind of do that behind the scenes uh, for the most part. It's really good to understand. So if you have to tweak it, can do that fairly quickly. But w- why we're doing these courses now at this undergraduate level is that's just kind of starting to become possible is where these students can really take off and build these agents without this incredible mountain of statistics and math behind them. So as far as that goes, you know, as much math and stats as you can, just really to understand, uh, getting back to your question there, mm-hmm. and then programming uh, there. But after that, you know, we're, we're working on building AI at Dakota State University as a full-fledged degree. And so a part of that, though, is that we want people to actually apply it to all of these different problems. So really taking an expanse of different majors, uh, applying it to music, applying it to psychology, 
applying it to agriculture, teaching. All of these different things are so viable that we really want a diverse set of students who want to apply AI to other fields. And so we really want to see it's kind of this AI for all is kind of the idea. Sure. So we want all sorts of students uh, at, at all levels. And you guys have an AI minor now, right? Right. Yeah. We started with uh, a specialization. You know, we were just kind of just playing with the idea. We had students who were interested. So yeah, let's do some do some courses and then uh, we'll have uh, this, this specialization and said, well, let's take it another step further. So that's what we did. We built the minor, those courses kind of really shot off. And so we've been working to see if a, a bachelor's of science in artificial intelligence is tenable. So we've been working on building the curriculum. And as far as I understand, we anticipate on offering that this next fall. So, oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So a bachelor's in AI. So we're, we're really stoked for it. Yeah. And can you speak to any of the research that you might be working on in AI or that's going on here at DSU? Yeah. So just kind of going back to, you know, using AI and then, you know, just because Dakota State is, you know, has a huge footprint in cybersecurity. uh, I had a graduate student and uh, me and her worked together on building an agent that would do penetration testing. A penetration tester, they'll be hired by some company to basically try to find the faults in their security system, try and actually hack into it and, and, and that sort of thing. So trying to build a, an agent to automate that process, you know, going into, you know, computer terminals, uh, automatically typing commands, um, finding quote unquote sensitive files, that sort of thing. Uh, that's something that I've kind of been working on uh, the last kind of uh, few years or so with students and and then just kind of in my own time. Eventually, I would like to really kind of get more into agriculture. You know, I really like the idea of these bots working and, you know, self-driving tractors is already kind of a thing that's out there. Uh, my father-in-law has one of those. It's pretty fun. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So working with other universities in the state, you know, who are, you know, have kind of that uh, agricultural, the, the resources to be able to do that research, you know, it's, it's good to be collaborative whenever you can. So that's really great, you know, to be in South Dakota where it's the primary economic factor, as far as I understand. Yeah. So those are kind of the things that I've just kind of been working on. And, you know, like you say, just kind of that precision egg. But we've been hiring, you know, new faculty just over the last few years that are just super interested in AI besides myself. Some folks are doing uh, research with looking at x-rays, letting the computer look at x-rays and determine, you know, uh, what's the probability of cancer, let's say, like in the lungs or something like that. And we have others that are, uh, you know, working on uh, what's called edge AI. So I was talking about, you know, how much computational power it takes to run these things. Well, edge AI is where actually the computation's done on maybe like a central server, and then it's beamed either via the internet or a wireless network or something like that to like a mobile device or a device on a tractor, say, so or something So you don't like need that. all that space. And- exactly. You don't need all that computational power. It can just kind of still run the intelligence side of it without really burning the battery. <laughs> well, those definitely sound like great things to be looking into, especially the egg in South Dakota. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's just what interests me. But like the fun thing is about this is students come up with the best ideas. They'll walk up to me and just say, I want to do this. And I'm like, that's, that's cool. Let's, let's go <laughs> pursue it. So whether it's just playing with games or like I say, a lot of students are interested in the stock market these days, but uh, with uh, Sanford Health, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, we, we've uh, developed a new uh, relationship with them. So there's just a lot that we can do there as well with uh, artificial intelligence in the medical community. So that's another exciting opportunity that's opening up for us. So yeah, a lot going on. <laughs> We're stoked. <laughs> 
Excellent. I'm excited about the idea that you talked about. It's um, not just a background in mathematical computation and statistics and things like that, but mm-hmm. you're you're looking and hoping for students across disciplines oh, to uh, to jump in this. And I hope that at some point when we develop the curriculum even further, that those kind of classes might be an elective or two that students can you know pursue not only their professional passions, but Mm -hmm. add to that another dimension where they're using and understanding how AI might be something that can assist them in their futures. Right. Absolutely. So maybe like you say, if their bachelor's degree is in education, something along those lines, maybe they can do an AI minor and see how that can help them a little bit. And at least like you say, understand what's going on and and then I don't want to talk too much about the major because it just hasn't been solidified yet. But mm-hmm. really just, you know, the conversations we've been having is that we would prefer that these AI students actually pursue a minor outside of technology. Uh, well, they can if they want to, but we really want students just from all over because it, it really allows people to think of how to apply it to ideas that just haven't even been thought of yet. Kind kind of of offers a diversity of thought in the AI industry then? Absolutely. And that would be great. And that's where new ideas come up. And, you know, somebody uses AI for such and such problem in education and somebody else in some other program, whether it's, uh, you know, maybe athletics or or something along those lines saying, hey, I kind of see what they're doing there. I can kind of twist it a little bit to work in such a way with mine. So it just it just opens up this idea of applying AI in all of these different ways that we just haven't thought of yet. Sounds like an exciting area for new students to look into. Hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're excited. If I was only 40 years younger. <laughs> I should now. <laughs> well, I guess I could. Yeah. There's no time limit. Yeah. yeah. Four years from now, you'll still be four years older. Might know AI. Then. Uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to tell the wife. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Honey? Have her help you with the math homework. There oh, yeah, go. definitely. <laughs> definitely. Because you really freaked me out of math. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's not so bad. <laughs> well, anything else that you want to add while you're here? Well, let's see. So I wanted to make sure I plugged the program, but I think I did that pretty well. But And every time I, I, I've ever heard an interview about AI, there's always that doom and gloom. You know, that comes up. And I guess I just want to say the folks, don't worry too much about that. It's that's way more sci-fi than than you think. And then even when there are with, you know, the, the deep fakes that are real and, and the other things like that, there are folks who are working to to rein it in. So I, I was going to say, don't panic because a lot of people do. <laughs> it's, and so I think I think the future with AI is actually really exciting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think it's going to solve a lot of these problems that we're where a lot of us are worried about, you know, the whole grand scheme of things. And I think uh, eventually it's going to help us solve those problems. People working with AI to help bring that together for, you know, just a really better future than we might've had without it. Excellent. Well, I want to thank Austin and Gabe for being here and chatting with us. This was fascinating. This was great. (laughs) I appreciate it. It was a learning experience for us all, I think. And I want to thank Spencer, our sound designer over there. So 